0: Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm.
1: Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food. Or wait, never, ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello everyone, this is Lori Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. Thank you for being here. Today we're going to be talking about purpose And the front of the card is the goddess is walking down a path with mountains on either side and some flowers, a nice big sun in the sky and a moon. And um, she's holding on to her dear animal and looks like she's very committed to walking on this path. And the back of the card reads, following our purpose leads us to the path that feeds our soul. We all possess unique gifts, and we all have the need to express these gifts. To find our calling is to find the path of our hearts, the way of life that makes us feel alive and glad to be here. Over time, we may find many different paths, small and large. We find our calling by listening to our inner voice and doing what feels right and true to ourselves. So today I'm so happy to introduce Jennifer Lombardi, who I have known for many years. And she has done such fabulous work in the field of eating disorders. And I just used to really see her a lot when we were able to go and be in presence with each other at conferences. And I always just loved seeing her and talking to her. So I'm really grateful that she's here and able to talk to us today about purpose and what that means to her and how she's working that with herself and her clients. So hello, Jennifer, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, Laura Lee, and thank you so much for having me uh, on your podcast. It's really an honor and a privilege to be here with you today, and I am with you. I know we spoke briefly prior to this discussion about looking forward to the day where we can be back in person at conference space but right. in the meantime,
1: we'll share space this way. That's right. So tell me what about this card spoke to you or the idea of purpose or the image, or just like when you thought about purpose in your life, what about that resonated with you?
0: Gosh, so many things. As a clinician, things resonated. As a parent, things resonated. And then of course, I've been in recovery now for 24 years, give or take. And I think, you know, all the work that I've done with I've been fortunate to do with clients over the years. this is really I think a pivotal moment in the recovery process, but I think the lack of clarity around it and it is a warm and fuzzy concept that I think eludes a lot of people until it hits you square in the eyes and I think it can be a turning point in the recovery process so it just really spoke to me I mean the cards that you have are beautiful, but this one just really hit home oh, right through great. them.
1: So what are you finding, especially right now with so many of us inside of our house and having to deal with our own loneliness or our own disorders or our own selves, if you will? What are you finding to tell your clients about how to stay with their purpose of recovery and not, I don't know, go all willy-nilly and just say, forget it. I'm just going to do whatever.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a fabulous question in the sense that I think in part, as you said, loneliness and isolation are huge obstacles or can be both in terms of furthering recovery process or perhaps triggering relapse for a lot of people. And we've certainly seen that in the Definitely. last year. I mean, I've been doing this work for many years and I've never, ever seen anything like this over the past year, both in terms of just the sense of loneliness, isolation, boredom, a disconnect from connection with human beings and also with a sense of purpose. Because, you know, it's one of those, again, it's one of those warm, fuzzy words. And it's not until you start to take a step back and think, what is my purpose? What does that really look like in everyday life? So it has
1: been a challenge, I think, for a lot of people. And how do you help them? Or what do you say to them about this? Well, I mean, I
0: think there's a lot of, of research and a lot of work that's been done around, I mean, to me, the sort of the underpinnings of purpose have to do with things like values and values-based living, which requires us to be authentic and vulnerable. We have to open ourselves up to understanding why, whether it's why things have happened or transpired the way that they have, why this eating disorder has come into my life, and what's the life that I want, beyond this illness and what can that look like and you know of course how is the illness getting in the way of me getting where I want to go. And so I think it's really pausing and taking stock in why did I choose to take this fight on, the fight being against my eating disorder and what do I want in my life? And that's again, a pivotal moment that I think it's sometimes difficult to wrestle with regardless, but in the midst of a pandemic, I think it's magnified.
1: Yeah. And I also, when you said something like, what is the purpose of our eating disorder? You know, I know for me, With my eating disorder and before that, my alcoholism, there was a really good reason why I went down that path. And it wasn't until I gave myself compassion of an understanding and respect, that's what happened. And I had a good reason at the time. It didn't hold up forever <laughs> or for very right. long. Thankfully, it, right? Yeah, but it was <laughs> yeah. it was a part of me that needed it in a really big way until I didn't need it anymore and was able to use a different tool, I guess I should say.
0: Yeah, and I think what I can say is I'm always the sort of what I call the research geek in me is always really interested and fascinated by all the studies that have in the research that's been done the last decade or so, understanding the biology behind eating disorders and temperament. And I think the way I look at an eating disorder now, at least in large part, is like those qualities that make you a wonderful human being in a lot of ways, being very sensitive to change and being very aware of other people's feelings and that high what we call harm avoidant trait that you know, I say to patients, it's like, you were born with a more sensitive Richter scale and you feeler in the world. You're the person that pays attention to all the nuances, which is a wonderful gift in many ways, but can also put you at risk and elevate anxiety or depression. And so from that perspective, I look at the eating disorder as something that kind of hijacks at all and turns it off line and or focuses it on one or two things that give you a sense of mastery right in the moment. But then you find yourself, it's like Alice in Wonderland, you find yourself so far down the rabbit hole you wonder, how in the world did I even get here? And I think there's a moment where you realize just how far detached you have become from what matters to you. And that purpose piece and talking with patients, that's one of the things that I like to explore is help me understand why you think this illness has come into your life and work collaboratively on getting a deeper sense of that and then also determining, you know, what are the steps to get out of this so that you can get reconnected with what your purpose is and what matters to you. But that requires, like I said before, a lot of values clarification and that, to me, that work has always been very vulnerable for patients to do it brings up a lot
1: for sure as you're talking i'm just thinking about how wonderful it is to be a sensitive soul on the planet that we live because those are the ones that sort of get things done a lot of the time (laughs) that right a wrong that needs to be righted but and i'll speak for myself i was just tortured about being too sensitive that was not a good thing in my family to be sensitive i needed to buck up and stop thinking about all that stuff like why do you want to be so sad all the time i don't want to be i just see the world for what it is and it's very sad to me that it's like this i have to give my clients and have to give myself when i was recovering a lot of love about being a sensitive soul and not making it wrong
0: yeah. So I can tell you maybe eight or nine years ago, I was sitting in a, a training and one of the researchers was presenting some data on understanding this temperament piece. And I remember sitting there, Laura Lee, and I mean, you know, people sort of say, oh, you know, my jaw hit the floor. I mean, literally, I was sitting there and realized my mouth is hanging open. Wow. <laughs> a and people <laughs> are Probably thinking, what is going on with her? Hey, but I remember she seeing that information. <laughs> yes. And I thought, Where was this information 25 years ago? Where was it? Because there was this click kind of moment. The lights went on. And I thought, that's that trait that has been there prior to the onset of the eating disorder. That's that trait that will be there after. But no one had ever named it, let alone said, you know what, this is a trait that everybody has. Some people have it in more in spades than others. It's not good. It's not bad. It's really about figuring out how is this trait helping me and how is it getting me stuck and getting in the way of me getting where I want to go, which is very much an acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT concept. But nonetheless, thinking that's the thing that it sort of was the unspoken, I don't really know how to say what I'm thinking or feeling on the inside. And it's just, to me, it's such an important thing to bring up with patients and even families. Working with families, they kind of look at each other and go, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that tree because it's highly heritable and we know, we know that it doesn't just come from nowhere. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity to name it. To recognize the value in it and also how it's perhaps been hijacked by the eating disorder, or some people might say numbed out by it, because it can feel overwhelming at times when you are the feeler, the more sensitive person in the world, like you said. Yes. StoryGram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> It's a place I like to call The Bleed.
1: My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed.
0: Storygram Network.
1: And overlay that with any kind of drugs or alcohol or... (laughs) you know, relationship, addictions, or whatever. And it it just takes a lot to get back down to that sensitive part of us that actually is our greatest part of us, is this heart, this spirit of being sensitive. And um, it's such a weird thing that we have in this culture that you're supposed to always help other people and be of service, but not be too much like that because we need to go it alone really there's so many mixed messages and right now with people who are having just be inside of their little house or apartment all by themselves or maybe with one other person we're seeing how much we need other people and it's very difficult that we're not able to get that outside and we
0: know as human beings, we're relational. We're not meant to operate in isolation. And we know loneliness can be, you know, it's not an overstatement. from my perspective to say loneliness is a killer, it really, truly can be. And when we have this, chronic, ongoing disconnect. I think the need to numb can be quite strong for people. I think that's human nature. And so to lose contact with purpose and meaning, I think it's a slippery, very slippery slope at that point with this pandemic. And I think about one of my favorite questions to ask patients as early on in treatment as possible is what matters most to you? Of course, there's a common question that clinicians may ask, which is if you had five minutes to live, what would you do? And I have yet to hear somebody with an eating disorder say, well, I'd get on the treadmill for five more minutes. I'm like, okay, so you don't want to spend more time with your Sort of Got it. But usually it's, you know, I want to call people. I want to connect with people. And that's sort of, for me, that's opening the door to that conversation. And many years ago, I remember having a conversation with a, a young client and I said, you know, well, what do you really care about? And this, like I said, this conversation around purpose or values, to me, it's an extremely vulnerable question. And we just kept going around and around. And finally this patient said, I really like animals. And I said, great. And the next response response. response was, but I don't want to be a vet. I paused and I said, no offense. I don't really care if you want to be a vet or not. That's not the point. So the point is, is if that's something that's meaningful to you and gives you a sense of connection and purpose, then we just need to find a way to have that show up in your life more which could be any number of things. So to me that, again, I think we have to be mindful of the fact that identifying purpose, and this is my clinical experience with patients, is sometimes because of their temperament, they tend to give the answer they think they're supposed to give or that the other person would like them to give rather than digging deep and thinking regardless of how silly or contrived it may sound what really matters to me and not have it necessarily in that moment be automatically tied to what has to have a degree or it has to have a job with it. Hold on, let's just start with the basics, if that makes sense.
1: We get so black and white. If I'm not a vet, then I can't be around animals. It's like, wait, there's like a whole world,
0: (laughs) a whole animal world. There's all kinds of opportunities (laughs) in that department, right? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I can understand that. I get very black and white too and very perfectionistic and it was very hard to come away from that for me. It took forever, it feels. And my clients, I know that's one of the things that drives them is that, well, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do because it's not perfect yet. And I hate to put it to you, but it probably will never be perfect. <laughs>
0: Right. We are messy, We're messy. creatures by definition. We're and like you said, some of those personality traits and that perspective, we don't like messy. You know, that's just of our nature, which in some situations is a wonderful asset. But sure. in other situations, it can definitely trip us up. And I think, again, there's an element of vulnerability in that has to be brought to light. I like to say, I was at a conference several years ago and I was talking to a colleague and we were having a very similar conversation to what you and I are speaking about today. And we were joking around. Somebody was doing a presentation on values and purpose. We said, what would we have done back in the day when we were both deep in our eating disorders? And I thought, you know what, well, this will give away my age. I said, you know, I would have gone to the library, gone down to the basement, pulled up all the microfiche and microfilm and done research on what are values and what are not, (laughs) what's purpose. And then I would have written a paper that was AP format and citations and turned it over and it would have had nothing to do with me. That's the piece where I think we also have to call that out, that purpose is not what we think it's supposed to be, or again, what we think other people would like it to be for us, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And it's not another hammer to hit our head over with. Like oh, I'm not living my purpose. Yes.
0: Yeah. Another degree to obtain, or a yeah. cert- certification to get. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's so true. So you have a little platform here to say whatever you want to say about what you're doing these days and what you're working on, and. Where you're going about this. And I wonder if there's anything that you would like to put out into the universe about that.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, we're very fortunate, I think, in our field to have had some pretty remarkable, as I mentioned before, research and studies that have been done and evidence based care models such as FBT or family based treatment, which I think are wonderful. And I'm very proud of that and proud to be part of that community. And I very much am grateful for the opportunity to further the applications of that and to be part again of that community. I think the other part where my heart is in the work that we're talking about today, which is understanding purpose and values and also how temperament plays a role in that. There's some research that's being done on temperament-based treatment. And I think it really, to me, that's exciting because it hits home and I think can help people get to a place where they have a better clarity of how they operate and how they sort of the lens with which they look through and into the world. And I think, you know, just the power of that to be able to shift perspective and get back in touch with what is my purpose? You know, Mark Twain has this great quote about the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. And so to me, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, that's really that hits home yes. because I think many people who struggle with an eating disorder are sitting back with the why. Why did this happen to me or for families? Why is my child struggling? And we do a lot of work around, you know, no, let's not shame. Let's not blame. It's not going to be helpful. Let's focus on what needs to happen now. And then I think there is, as you get out of that critical state, it opens the door to, okay, what do I want to have in my life? And I think that's an equally important conversation to have. And so I'm grateful for platforms like this to be able to have not just the evidence-based care model discussion, but to also talk about life after and what is going to keep you in recovery. To me, that's a really important question. To ask somebody who is struggling, this is what your life has looked like now, what do you want it to look like down the road? And sometimes people don't know. So allowing space for that anxiety producing or open-ended conversation to plan for it and to embrace it when it shows up, I think is extremely important in our field.
1: Yes. And it may change a million times too. One of the great things about being able to live past 30, like you couldn't live past 30 200 years ago, but one of the great things is you get to do a lot of different things. And I think that's another thing that's very hard right now with where we are, is that we're not allowed to do a lot of different things. And that's something that we don't like. I don't like it anyways, and most of my clients don't like it. Right. I mean, I think it's challenging enough
0: to get through the recovery process for both the person who's struggling and their support system. And then it's, okay, now what? What's the rest of my life going through? to be like. And there's excitement in that. But again, I think there can be a lot of fear around that, especially when you're used to, what do you want to call it numbing out or you want to call it being in a disconnected space. Sometimes I think there's a shift from external motivation and external direction versus tapping into internal motivation and internal direction. You know, what do I want and what do I want to pursue regardless of my fears around what might People think or say about that. I think we're in, a, again, a wonderful time in our treatment community. And I'm very hopeful that lots and lots of people recover and stay in recovery. But I'm really curious to see what the next decade will bring um, in terms of treatment and opportunities. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say I'm so grateful that we're in a time now where people are much more open about. Being in recovery, because for many of us, that helps us, I don't know, I think what I hear from patients, and certainly I would say is true for me, is it's a reminder of the life that you don't want to go back to, and the more you build the one that you're in. I think it becomes harder and harder to walk away from that because you realize what you would have to give up in order to go back to that eating disorder life.
1: I couldn't have said it better. It's a beautiful thing that you just said. Yeah. If we look at it like that, and that makes it a gift that we can be grateful for, which is a whole other kind of different way of thinking about this. I always... Thought when I was recovering that I just needed to be really thin, but be able to eat everything I wanted, and that was as far as I got with the recovery. <laughs> of course, right,
0: the, right. Well, your world just shrinks, right, in many so ways, small. more ways than one.
1: You know, I had no idea and your perspective. Yeah, I wonder if you will read that last part. The just for today. So for today,
0: I will find some time to ask myself the questions. What higher purpose might I have? What can I bring into my life that would bring me joy, inspire me, and feed my soul? I will listen to my inner voice and honor whatever thoughts, feelings, and ideas that
1: come to me. Oh, thank you. That's so great that you just read that. You know, I feel like you really walk this talk. I really do. And I think that's why it's so wonderful that you came and talked about purpose with me today.
0: Thank you so much, Laura Lee. What a
1: very kind and generous thing to yeah. say. And I, again, I
0: really do appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you.
1: Yes. I was so happy to do it and I will look forward to, I don't even care if it's a conference that I don't even want to go to, but I'm going to go. Uh-huh. <laughs> I miss my, make it happen. Yeah. I just miss my peeps so much. The people that are working in this field. I miss all of us so much. Yeah, I agree. I
0: agree. You know, there's also that sense of our community, right? And we've been disconnected from it for far too long. Way too long.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to talk to you. Same here, Laura Lee. Thank you so much. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food Podcast. Thanks so much.